0: You know the song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands? You want me to sing it for you? You know, that song goes back to 1927. It'll be hundred years old in a few years. I used to sing it when I was in uh, a public school in the early 70s. Um, I have no idea if my teachers were religious at all. Uh, certainly didn't, you know, in the public school, we certainly didn't learn about God or anything, but we sung that. In the mornings, along with uh, the Pledge of Allegiance and this land is your land. What does that conjure up in your mind when you picture or think of Jesus holding the whole world in his hands? What's that? He's got the whole world in his hands? Okay. How does it make you feel? Secure, yeah? Safe? Safe? Small. <laughs> you know, every power, every force of what we call nature is at his disposal and his command. Every authority under heaven and earth is his. He has created everything and he holds it in his hands forever. You know, for me, uh, that, to say that he's got the whole world in his hands, for me, it, it gives me comfort knowing that despite billions of tons of plastic in the oceans... And rising temperatures and melting glaciers, he's still got the world in his hands. And I think it'll be okay. And I pray that Jesus will return before things get really bad. But I don't want to get all environmental on you on Maundy Thursday. I want us to take a few minutes and look at what Jesus is doing with his hands here on earth. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus holds the whole world in his hands. And what will he do with those hands? He'll take off his outer clothing, lay them aside, take up a bowl of water, and use his divine hands to wash the dusty, travel-worn feet of his disciples. He'll hold those feet in his hands and clean them. He's got the whole world in his hands, including the dusty feet Of those men who walked miles and miles with him day after day. He knows that the Father has given all things into his hands. See, God has hands, right? You know, it's not a metaphorical thing to to say that, it's a literal thing. Because in the person of Jesus, God joined to human flesh. So God has hands. And feet and eyes and ears, lungs, nose, teeth, got everything, right? And with all these, he descends from heaven and is born into the world to take up the feet of sinful men into his hands. Now you can understand Peter's objection, right? His God should not wash his feet. This is unbecoming of the Lord. The Lord should be far above His creation distant from the creatures he made, especially if the creatures have rebelled and set themselves against the goodness and graciousness of God. God should not become man, should not unite himself with sinful humans, should not have human flesh and hands, and should certainly not use those hands to take up and wash the ground in Judean desert soil from the feet of those men who confess to follow such an incarnate God. You shall never wash my feet, Peter says. So you and I would also protest, given the opportunity. But then Jesus' words, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. These these words frustrate Peter and let Jesus wash his feet. But he still must have felt that something was wrong about all this. Washing feet is not what the Christ should do and not what the great I am should be doing. This is slave labor, a servant's task. If God takes on human flesh and then stoops to the lowest position, that of washing feet, the whole social system is turned upside down. all right, y'all, take off your shoes. Yeah, you should see the look on their faces. Oh, I didn't tell you about this part, did I? I'm going to wash your feet. Not really. And see, what they're thinking right now, and the looks on their faces is exactly why I believe that foot washing in the Christian church as a practice or a ritual is mostly unobserved and is lost on us. You know, we just don't serve each other in, in this way anymore. When our children are babies, we wash their feet, Yeah, but we all get to an age where we can do that ourselves and, or just standing in the shower does the job. The closest thing to biblical foot washing today might be caregivers who wash the feet of the firm or the physically disabled. Now, some Christian churches, such as the Salvation Army, they still, they still do foot washing in their church services uh, to remember Jesus. And I've done it at VBS a couple of times, you know, to show the kids what serving others and what being served feels like in this way. Or, I ain't touching nobody's nasty feet. So this reading is hard for us. And if all that weren't enough, Jesus then asks, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. And then he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Good grief. You know, as if Jesus hasn't already given us enough commands to do things like follow him and baptize the nations and proclaim the good news and tell everyone what he has done. Now, do as I have done to you and as I have done with this foot-washing thing? He wants us to love one another like that? That's hard. We'll abide with the command to love others to a point. Love anyone the way you wish is the creed of American popular religion, but love as I have loved you? An out-of-the-comfort-zone, self-sacrificing kind of love? No way. (laughs) We know what it means to love others as we... Man, that's a tall order, isn't it? But Jesus gives this new commandment, this Mandatum Novum in Latin, uh, which, which is the reason why we call today Maundy Thursday. He gives this new commandment on the night when he was betrayed and given into the hands of sinful men. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Do this, Jesus bids, love like this. Like I do. Love those who can never deserve it. Love those who hate you, who reject you, who are inclined toward your, toward your destruction. Wash their feet, feed them, clothe them, assume the posture of a servant, or worse, absolve their sins, give them forgiveness for sins, forgiveness they could never deserve. Love like that, okay? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Love those who cannot deserve your love. Love those who are completely unforgivable. Love with your hands. Do things for the betterment of others. Love even though your love may never be repaid. Love sacrificially. Love never expecting anything in return. Love as I have loved you, Jesus says. Well, who does that? No one can, perfectly or completely. And yet, as I have loved you, is pretty absolute. Jesus loves perfectly and doesn't wait for you to love, to show love towards others, to show his love for you. If foot washing were for the, for the extent of Jesus' love, that would be difficult enough to do. But he doesn't have hands just to take up his disciples' feet. He doesn't have fingers merely as instruments to scrub between their toes. He has the whole world in his hands, and he intends those hands to be nailed to the cross. This is his love. Behold the man who loves those who are completely unlovable. Behold the man who loves those who, in a little while, in these sacred texts, will abandon him. They'll flee to save their own hides. Behold the man who loves the unlovable, the rebellious, and the sinful. Behold the man who loves those who could never deserve it. Behold the man who is God and who, in order to love his people perfectly and completely, has become man. Behold the man who loves the world completely and perfectly in his death on the cross. Behold the man who loves you and me. If we want to love like this, like Jesus did, like he commands his disciples to love, we'll never get there relying on our own deficient and selfish love. If you want to love like this, You've got to be loved like this. As I have loved you is here on the altar. The fruits of Jesus' sacrificial love are in his holy communion for you to eat and drink. Behold the man who gave himself in the perfect act of love and who on this night was betrayed, took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples as his own body. Behold the man who poured his blood into the loveless loveless mouths of his disciples to forgive their sin. Behold the man, veiled in bread and wine, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. This feast of love that we're going to have up here in a few minutes fulfills Jesus' command to love one another. Here, as you are fed and nourished with the body and blood of the only one who could ever love like this, you are strengthened in fervent love toward him and in fervent love toward one another. Disciples who feast on the same loving bread and Lord are united together in love. Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In order to love like Jesus, behold the man. On his altar, take him in. Eat the bread that gives eternal life. In the cup, behold the man who loves you enough to forgive you freely, fully, day after day, week after week, year after year. May it be so for you. And may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.